Welcome to Fix Your Focus, Let's Chat with Saida, where we have weekly conversations centered around mental health, self-empowerment, or relationships that provide growth, healing, and knowledge around the transitional periods that women go through in life. I'm your host, Saida Spencer Artis, a licensed marriage and family therapist and owner of Focus Therapy Clinic in Birmingham, Michigan. It is my mission to provide a place for women to listen, learn, and laugh while constantly evolving. I hope you enjoy listening to the show, and please remember, this show is not meant to be a substitute for working with a licensed mental health professional. You are listening to Fix Your Focus. Let's chat with Faida, Spencer Artist. Um, our guest today is Dr. Lori Johnson. Um, Dr. Johnson is a licensed marriage and family therapist um, which more, with more than 25 years of experience as a clinician, educator, clinical supervisor. Um, she helps her clients navigate uncertainty in relationships, overcoming emotional challenges that come with fertility journeys, as well as loss of pregnancy um, or strengthening their relationships. By combining her clinical background as well as her own personal experience into a holistic therapeutic approach, um, she works to support women and couples on their path to parenthood. Um, She's also a clinical fellow of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy and uh, served on state and national boards. Um, Currently, Dr. Johnson lives in Hermosa Beach, California with her husband, and in her spare time, she enjoys salsa dancing, traveling, reading, and riding her motorcycle. (laughs) So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Johnson. I love the motorcycle piece. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I love my motorcycle, too. (laughs) Um, So anytime I talk to another marriage and fairy marriage and family therapist, um, which I may commonly say during this show, just MFT to make it short, right. I get like super excited because I'm in Michigan and there aren't that many MFTs, so I don't oh. find myself surrounded by a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, it's nice to connect with you. And I know it's got to be hard, you know, professionally when you don't have other people around you who identify the same as you professionally. So, you know, it's always nice to, to connect and uh, have that sense of community. Right. So the topic for the show today is managing the stress of the unexpected reality and tips to walk through the journey. Um, so what, as a marriage and family therapist, um, just drew you to this particular uh, niche? You know, I think we all, you know, when we come into the field, I mean, I think we start with certain interests. And I started working with children. And um, and I think as just time progressed and, you know, life progressed for me, I, you know, started working more with couples. And, you know, and as I kind of developed this expertise in working with couples, you know, one of the issues that became, uh, you know, a centerpiece to that was uh, around fertility issues and reproductive health. So it became a focus um, that I was working with before, and you know, and then I think I became even more um, 
passionate about it as, you know, I went through my own journey and, um, you know, still ongoing, but, um, but at a different point in it. And uh, that really gave me a different perspective clinically about how to work with people who are going through fertility issues and the unique challenges that impact um, each member of the couple, um, their relationship, um, as they also try to weave in or, you know, navigate um, this medical community that um, is incredibly overwhelming. So, so you have these, you know, various facets of um, just emotional stress that are converging at one point, and and so it just became not just, um, you know, a, a, a topic that I worked with in in, in 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 my clinical work, but it actually became something that I lived as well. And uh, now that I'm at a different point, um, it's definitely informed and shifted how I work. Okay. Um, what are some of the common struggles that you may see when you're dealing with um, women and couples yeah. when it comes to the, so, the fertility challenges? Yeah, so I think one of the first challenges is, you know, around, you know, um, kind of understanding, you know, one's reproductive cycle, you know, for, for women. I think, you know, when anybody couples um, or decides to couple for, you know, just with someone for long term, you know, they don't really think about, oh, I'm going to go into this having problems having children, you know. So when it starts to not happen, you know, there are a lot of questions around why. And we do have some, you know, medical explanations that, you know, I think can kind of account for that. But also, they're just, I think, more lifestyle, you know, explanations. You know, people are waiting longer to couple. Um, you know, they're postponing um, settling down or deciding to um, try for, for, you know, to, to, to get pregnant because of uh, financial challenges or career challenges, not feeling really settled in a variety of areas. So when you have some of these social issues or lifestyle issues that really prolong, you know, people uh, starting that stage of their lives, coupled with, you know, some medical realities um, that are equally as challenging, you know, you, again, then you have this recipe for, um, you know, just I think this emotional distress that was really unanticipated. Okay. Um, when people, sort of like what you just said, you know, not really sure and these things are not anticipated, um, what are right. some myths that go behind fertility issues that sometimes people are so caught in not really realizing that the issue can go so much deeper. Right. I think the biggest myth is that it's really easy to get pregnant. Um, you know, mm -hmm. if you if you think about it, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a little bit of a tickle in my throat. <clears throat> if you think about it, at on any, any given month, um, there's only a 20% chance of getting pregnant. Um, and that is someone who is at the height of their fertility. Um, you know, so for most, for most women, that's in their mid, you know, mid to late 20s. Um, but um, there's this idea that, you know what, oh, my goodness, you know, we're just going to, you know, um, get together and have sex. And then, you know what, we're going to make a baby and it can happen relatively easily. But there's really only about a 20 percent chance in the best of circumstances um, each month. And so sometimes there's another myth around, you know, oh, if you just relax, it'll happen. Um, because as you can imagine, the more that time goes on and, and, you know, you're not getting pregnant, then the, you know, the isolation sets in, the, the questions, the anxiety. Um, and so you'll often hear people say, you know, just relax. It'll happen when you least expect it. Take your mind off of things, you know, or you know, people will give this anecdotal advice about, you know, oh, just go on vacation. You know, we can't, you know, we got pregnant and we relaxed and went on vacation. And so again, Again, all of these things that are, you know, 
kind of well-meaning um, in terms of trying to help people um, you know, not stress about what's not happening, but in fact, actually, you know, kind of create more pressure. So this myth that if we just relax, it'll just happen, you know, quite easily is, is probably one of the biggest. Okay. Yeah, I, I know the anecdotal, um, the anecdotal thoughts or statements at time, uh, kind of in those moments of silence, right? Yeah, when, yeah. when people sometimes just want to vent about how they're exactly. feeling, their frustrations, their letdowns. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah, and then as family members or girlfriends, we say, oh, you know, it'll get better. Relax. Give it a chance. Exactly. 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 And little do they know how much chance, how many chances people have already been, you know, given when they get to that point of expressing that sense of stress. So it becomes really invalidating um, and kind of pushes people, you know, really further inward and, you know, contributing to them feeling more isolated. Right. And so another question, just because I, the 20%, that's really mm -hmm. informative. I did not know that piece. So mm -hmm. does that mm -hmm. also contribute to sometimes to the loss of pregnancy? You know, the 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 whole piece around pregnancy loss and, and why that happens, I think some the data um is suggests that about you know, I think Maybe even upwards of 50% or one in four couples, you know, will experience, um, you know, miscarriage. And then that depends on the, the, the 50% depends on the age group and also depends on just the history as well. But one in four is still about 25% um, that we know of. So I think, you know, we just kind of assume that that, that number is, is actually much higher, you know, and, and nature is a beautiful thing in the sense that, you know, we can, you know, kind of get together and create life. And at the same time, um, you know, miscarriage can come out of that as well because when you, you know, the majority of miscarriages are due to chromosomal issues. And so in some ways it is kind of nature taking its course. If, you know, the, you know, the, the chromosomes that they're getting from, you know, the female partner and the male partner aren't necessarily compatible with life, then, you know, that will happen early on. So, um, but again, you know, it's, it's, that's that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, I think, and kind of understanding, you know, kind of women who deal with recurring miscarriages, and that puts them in a different category. And I think there's some other factors that might go along with that. But um, but for the, you know, for the general public, you know, it's it's quite common, and you know, we don't really talk about it. I mean, you know, we kind of assume that, you know, because it happens easily for so many people, or just you know, the fact that people aren't really talking about it, we don't really know a lot of um, what's going on for people too. Right. And like you said, though, the more and more comments that we give on the soothing side, it makes the yeah. person who's going through it continue to just go more and more inward because you're having a conversation sometimes with um, people who can't relate. Right. Um, right. Exactly. You, you know, I remember as a child hearing my mother um, so often she struggled with fertility issues and so mm -hmm. I think um, I think her and my father they tried they tried to numerous miscarriages and so like I was the last go um, oh wow and, but she often said that all of her close girlfriends she got to a point where she stopped going to the baby showers and yes. she stopped hanging with some of her girlfriends that she had been close with for years 
because they all had babies in their 20s. And here, her and my dad are trying um, in, in, you know, for like the first five years of her 30s. And she didn't yeah. even, you know, I didn't come until she was 37 years old. Wow. Um, wow. And, yeah. and so, to the, you know, all of those messages she heard, give it a chance. It will get better. Uh, you know, so on and so forth. But really, it just made her revert inward and exactly. stop talking exactly. to everybody. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the isolation is so real. And, and even though I'm glad to hear that we're talking about it even more, um, it still is part of the reality of women who are still in the journey, as I like to call it, um, and trying to interact with others who have crossed over to the other side, as we might say. Um, you know, there's just still some moments where it's it's hard to navigate. Um, so I can imagine what that must have been like for your mom and, you know, having to listen to a lot of the baby talk and, you know, what's going on with their, you know, her friends, children developmentally, um, you know, those are, those are the, the, the really subtle moments that continue to, you know, compound that sense of isolation, um, you know, for, for women and for couples. So yeah, that makes total sense. Okay. So we are going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, we're just going to discuss a little bit further how some of these issues can come out when, in regards to the couple. Um, so bear with us. Uh, we'll be right back with Dr. Johnson. Stay tuned to Fix Your Focus. Let's chat with Saida. You are listening to Fix Your Focus. Let's chat with Saida. Um, we are talking to Dr. Johnson today. Um, the topic that we were discussing prior to the break is managing the stress of the unexpected reality and tips to walk through the journey. And a part of the unexpected reality um, that we were discussing today is in regards to fertility challenges um, and the loss of pregnancy. Um, Dr. Johnson is a marriage and family therapist in California and her niche is specializing in fertility. Um, so, Dr. Johnson, a little bit, um, kind of going into what we were speaking about before, but when mm -hmm. it comes to women, how common is it um, for depression to be a part of what they're experiencing when they're dealing with these challenges? I, you know, it's very common, I think, for depression to present itself when women are dealing with fertility challenges. I think some of the most recent data that I read suggested that the longer that a woman undergoes fertility um, issues, that, um, you know, obviously you'll start to see more spikes as the, the years go on. And I think the last, um, the last data that I saw suggested somewhere around two to three years is when it starts to peak, um, which seems about right. I mean, because, you, you know, for a lot of women under 35, um, you know, you have to try for a year before um, you can kind of get some kind of medical assistance. Um, and so once women start to kind of enter into the medical community for, you know, assistance for reproductive issues, um, you know, they're already a year in for the most part. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, so the stress has already kind of settled in um, and all of the uncertainty moving forward. So it's usually about year two to three where we do see some spikes in, in that. Um, there's been a little bit of conflicting data about, you know, the, the, the percentage, your percentage of, of, of women, but it's definitely prevalent. Do you, um, do you see that some of it revolves around the way 
that we may envision our lives to be mm-hmm. at a certain stage? Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, I think the depression can come from, or the angst, as I like to call it, just, you know, more generally, is, um, yeah, this, this loss around the expectation of how, you know, they might have expected their fertility journey to go, right? And because, like you mm-hmm. know, I said earlier, we, we, we couple or decide to, you know, enter into parenthood and think, you know what, we're just going to lay down and make a baby and it's going to be, you know, simple. It might take a couple, you know, a few months, but no big deal. Um, and so, yes, you know, you have to give up on the loss of the idea, excuse me, of how it's going to happen. Um, you know, so there's some, for some people, there, that's a lot of shame. Um, for some people, even if their friends have talked about, you know, going to reproductive, you know, endocrinologists and, you know, going through IUIs or IVFs, even if it's the norm, um, for, for, for a lot of people, I think people still have their own individual reactions to that. So, um, and that also coupled with the fact that when you do start to um, have medical intervention at some point, um, which can start with just cycle monitoring, getting a sense of where your hormone levels are on up to IVF, because I think people assume that fertility treatment automatically means you're going straight to IVF, which it does not. Um, but still you have this third party, this medical doctor um, in that has inserted, you know, has been inserted into your um, your reproductive life, your intimate life with your partner, and, you know, so there's this lack of privacy and, um, you know, so just so many different shifts, you know, that can create, I think, just this very disorienting um, experience um, that contributes or compounds, you know, that sense of, of angst. Um, you know, it's like nobody really wants to sign up for this. <laughs> and so right. um, it's it's hard. It's emotional. It can be emotionally grueling. Um, and it's also emotionally isolating, as we talked about, you know, before. So all of those factors um, just really, you know, kind of contribute to, um, to that depression or angst for sure. How do you think that that um, or what do you see commonly that mm-hmm. affects a couple, right? Because like mm-hmm. you said, you have all of components, you've got the doctor in there, you got everybody yes. kind of in your personal space. How does that yes. affect a couple? It, you know, the, the impact can be, you know, um, I, I've seen couples come out on the other side a lot stronger. And I have unfortunately seen, you know, you know, numerous couples break up over this too. Um, you know, it is going to, put, it can put a lot of stress on your relationship because let's face it, and especially if you're in, you know, a heterosexual couple or just the person who is undergoing the, um, the, the the treatment um it's so it's the the woman who has to bear the brunt of the um the uh, the appointments the exams the invasive exams you know the procedures the medications and the hormone fluctuations and so you compare that to um the male partner um in heterosexual relationships and you know m- most likely they just have to do you know or give like a sperm sample it's a very different um kind of orientation in terms of what is required physically and sometimes emotionally. And so, you know, so some for some women, 
you know, it's like, well, I'm going through all of this and he doesn't really have to go through anything and I'm really mad about that. And so I try to help create space for both of their experiences because, you know, I, I hear so many men struggling with feeling helpless too. They, you know, they see their, yes. their partner kind of going through this and they're like, man, I wish there's some way I could help and I can't take the shot for her and, you know, mm -hmm. or anything like that. Or, um, or even in, you know, um, you know, in same-sex couples, it's still the person who is undergoing the treatment that can sometimes, it can feel like the burden is, is on them physically and emotionally. So, you know, I think what I like to do in my couples sessions is just, you know, kind of just state what it is and state the reality and, you know, and, and try to kind of validate both of those perspectives because they're, they're very real and they're very lived. And how can we, you know, how can, how can I help them negotiate that so that we can remember that they're on the same team working for the same goal, even if they might have, you know, differing experiences, you know, that are part of the experience. So, it's it's very delicate, you know, kind of balance. But I think that couples that weather that better tend to um, have, you know, just you know more space for negotiation and you know compromise in their relationship. Um, they have a you know a good foundation around just really nurturing their connection. You know, because it's so easy for fertility treatments or this process to hijack your relationship. And so one of the first questions I ask is, what are you doing for you guys, you know, for your relationship? You know, are you, right. you know, you know, what, how are you nurturing that? So are you dating like you did when you first got together? You know, what are you doing for fun? Because you need some, you know, you need some, some lightness to balance that heaviness that this process can bring. And, you know, and I also like to help them remember that, you know what, this is really about keeping things in perspective. Um, you both want the same thing. Um, and this is how you are choosing to, you know, kind of go about it. Now, sometimes it can be challenging because, you know, then you have one person who might want to, to stop and the other one wants to keep going. And that does kind of present, you know, some, some challenges as well. But, um, you know, I think again with a good foundation and one with, you know, where they, um, they have that solid kind of respect and, you know, and, and value around, um, coupleness and compromise, um, then, you know, I think they can weather that, you know, far better. And communication, you know, being mm -hmm. able to co communicate, um, especially yeah. your question regard, regarding, what are they doing to maintain the relationship? You know, are you dating? Yeah. Are you are you laughing? Are you doing mm -hmm. things that even though you're going through a rough patch, what's keeping you in touch with one another? Um, exactly. You know, exactly. And after going through all of these nurturing pieces of being able to continue to nurture the relationship and even yourself, right? Because mm -hmm. yeah. there has yeah. to be space for this is just this is just not what I envisioned. So let me go through exactly. this space or grieve this the original idea. Yes. To, yes, to absolutely. create and form that mind shift for something new of whatever it's going to be. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you 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 mentioned a very powerful word, and that is grief. You know, it's it's a constant grieving process along the way. Um, you know, because things haven't unfolded the way that you imagined, and so you never know when that's going to pop up. And it could look like anger, it could look like sadness, it could look like depression as well. Um, you know, but it's the reality, and. You know, and so I think it's creating the space for that to be there. And, and also, you know, touching on what you said about communication, because I think sometimes the hardest part is hearing, you know, just some of the deep, dark, you know, uncomfortable things that, you know, one that your partner might say, you know, and, and so if one per person is saying, you know, I'm really, this is really hard, you know, I just, I don't know what to do, we're expressing really, you know, a lot of frustration, um, you know, it's like, how can we set the relationship up to kind of hold that, um, you know, and not personalize it as much as we, you know, can do at times. So it's, it's, it's a negotiation. Yeah. Definitely. Um, on the website, one of the things I noticed um, that I wanted you to just expound about a little bit more uh, for the mm -hmm. listeners and myself as well is the four pillars of fertility health. Um, yes. Just ex explaining what that means. So for me, the four pillars of fertility health is about emotional well-being, which is kind of your mental, psychological state, um, the emotional guidance, which is the process of therapy or coaching to that helps you stay focused on that, you know, or your relationship. And then also nutrition and exercise, which I consider, you know, in addition to mental health as, you know, part of the foundation for, um, you know, just, you know, just that needs to be part of the foundation for health in general. Um, I think mm -hmm. nutrition and exercise get downplayed a lot. I, I, I love that the conversation around mental health is improving um, and we're talking about it so much more on social media and so many campaigns. Um, you know, around that, I'm seeing so many more people access services for mental health, which I think is great. And I also feel like nutrition and exercise are still kind of like the most underutilized um, strategies for managing mental health as well, because we do know that poor nutrition can impact energy, you know, and so if we're feeling really low because we're not really eating properly or, you know, our our balance and our, and our macros, as we like to call it, maybe the, between, the balance between like proteins and carbohydrates is a little bit off, you know, people People might think, oh, you know what, I'm feeling depressed because I'm sluggish, but, you know, making some changes in their diet actually can, helps them feel a little bit more energetic. So understanding that connection between what we eat and also our mood and our energy is important, too. Because um, I, and, you know, this is probably from my, obviously my background as a, as a psychotherapist for the past 20 years, too. I've seen so many people just go straight to medication for managing anxiety, depression, and depression before really looking at nutrition and exercise. And once we kind of, you know, help them uh, have a little bit more of a, a balanced routine, you know, they, they were actually able to manage some of those, you know, mental health issues on their own without medication. So, um, you know, I'm not anti-medication. I'm just about, you know what, I'd rather have the foundations in place before we start adding it as opposed to, you know, the other way around. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, um, mm -hmm. taking the time to figure out what does work, uh, you know, exactly. and shifting the change in the behaviors 
So if the behaviors yeah. mean, you know, I, I need to eat a little bit different or would waking up in the morning and meditating for five to 10 minutes and then going on a walk and breathing in fresh right. air, would that make a difference or creating right. a space, you know, to, to feel differently physically? How will that then affect my mental health? Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm not anti-medication either, but I do agree with you in those areas that sometimes when you incorporate all of these other pieces, how your body will then begin to shift to where you mm-hmm. may not need those. Exactly, exactly. And then if you think about, you know, your body and having the best foundation for mental health and, and you know, and walking into, you know, the pregnancy or the fertility journey, I think, you know, these pillars become even more important, you know, for trying to stay as balanced as possible. Um, you know, and I hear, and I have a lot of women who have worked with me who just, you know, will start trying all of these different fertility diets and, you know, and, and, and then their nutrition kind of gets a little bit you know, um, it gets a little skewed because they're 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 uh, eliminating certain foods, and I think right now keto is kind of the new recommendation for for a lot of women. And and there's specific conditions in the fertility world where I think making some pretty drastic uh, changes makes sense. And the only one that I've seen at this point is um, women who have PCOS polycystic ovarian syndrome, where um, there are some issues around insulin, resist, insulin resistance, where it does make sense to kind of like maybe dramatically reduce carbs because of, you know, um, just because of how that the, the, the carbs function in the body and metabolizes sugars. Um, but for the most part, you know, general just nutrition, balanced nutrition and anxiety, excuse me, and exercises, you know, is still a vital part of a fertility journey. Yeah, I think that that's definitely important to think about, especially for the listener that may be listening that doesn't know that changing your diet or um, adding a certain physical component to what you're going through um, can can be helpful. Right. Because you may be in a situation where the doctor is saying medication, 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 or a situation where no one is giving you pieces of information that you may not necessarily know because what mm-hmm. we don't know, what we don't know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And exactly. certain questions we may not know to ask either. Exactly. Uh, so from when working kind of, this is kind of going back a little bit, but when working okay. with, um, with couples, when they are able to either, I think, I believe you referred to it earlier as on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when they mm-hmm. are able to get to the other side of it, whatever that other side may be, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the positive things you see come from them working through this process together? I think there's a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of, you know, just relief um, of happy, sheer happiness. Um, and then also sheer exhaustion because then, you know, for a lot of people moving, moving, moving on to the other side, it means parenthood. Um, for, for some people, it might not mean parenthood. It, you know, it might mean, um, you know, deciding to take a break from treatments or it could mean, you know, also, um, deciding to, um, to remain childless. But there's this, I think just, it's more of this, we're in, you know, this, we're in this together idea and, you know, we're, we're, 
we're, we're going to stay a team. We've weathered something that's unimaginable, but that's part of what happens when we decide to commit. Um, and if, you know, people take their vows, it's like for better or for worse. And, you know, this is one of the worst, but, you know, through this, we've gotten stronger and, you know, we're sad, but we're together or, you know, we're happy and exhausted and together. Um, but it's just a shared kind of sense of we, we made it and we're here um, together. Okay. Um, in regards to um, the couples that um, are still, well, I don't even want to say struggling, but um, mm -hmm. struggling with going through the process as it is, what are some of the hard points that you see for the, um, the male in the relationship? Because I know you said earlier, right, we have to create the space. Mm -hmm. So the woman yeah. is the one that's bearing all of these things, bearing this, you know, kind of invasion, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. of doctors and mm -hmm. medication mm -hmm. and all the mm -hmm. additional pieces. And the husband is kind of sitting there, right? And he he yeah. can't he can't he can't do anything to make it better. And sometimes right. that can be the hardest thing for the husband. Yeah. How can I fix it? How can I make it better? Right. How can I make it better? And you know, and so you know, I know a lot of men are kind of showing up for appointments, they're giving shots, you know, they're rubbing backs, um, giving lots of hugs, you know, doing a lot of validating. And, you know, and so if they have that fix-it personality, it's it hard to know that that's enough, um, you know, but I, it's, it's also, I think, normal for them to still struggle with those feelings of helplessness, of wanting to do more. So the work is really, you know, about, you know, balancing, you know, those two dualities. Yes, you're doing as much as you can and it's okay that it still doesn't feel like enough. And, you know, how can you lean into that helplessness a little bit differently um, so that you, you know, can be gentle with yourself. And allowing them mm -hmm. themselves, their area mm -hmm. of vulnerability mm -hmm. to to mm -hmm. actually express those things. Okay. Um, so we're gonna transition into a break. Uh, when we come okay. back uh, we will come back with Dr. Johnson and just finish up and touch on some additional pieces and how um, any listeners can reach out to her. So stay tuned. Stay tuned to Fix Your Focus. Let's chat with Saida. You are listening to Fix Your Focus. Let's chat with Saida. Um, we, the guest we have on our show today is Dr. Johnson. Um, Dr. Johnson is a marriage and family therapist. And she is on today talking to us about managing the stress of the unexpected reality and tips to walk through the journey, um, dealing with infertility and pregnancy challenges within uh, couples and how they, how they can sustain and get through to the other side. So Dr. Johnson, can you explain a little bit about ARP or assisted reproductive technology and what that is? Absolutely. Assisted reproductive technology is kind of an umbrella term, uh, medical term that basically encompasses everything that's related to a fertility treatment. Sometimes people associate, um, you know, art with going straight to IVF, but um, assisted reproductive technology could also mean just kind of coming in for cycle monitoring, um, which means that um, the doctor, the reproductive endocrinologist uh, will um, kind of 
examine your cycle and help monitor your cycle to see if there are any issues around around that. Then, you know, it's about taking things in stages. So the first course of action might be what they call a medicated um, monitored cycle where you might be taking medications to help boost ovulation or um, or just, uh, you know, depending on if there, what issue you might have, if it's ovulation, if, if it's that part of the phase, if the, the cycle, or if there's, you know, something else. Um, but it's just really about looking at what's going on without kind of, you know, the more invasive measures. So people will try maybe medicated cycles for a while before moving on to something that's called IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, where, um, you will take the partner's sperm and, and actually, uh, they, they will actually wash it and then insert it into the woman's uterus at time of ovulation. And so the next step after that is IVF, um, in vitro fertilization, where they will mm -hmm. take, um, they will, um, you know, prescribe medications to help the woman produce as many eggs as she can. And when it's time, they will take those eggs out and then allow um, the eggs to fertilize with the um, with a partner's sperm and um, and then once the eggs are fertilized they take the they kind of do they can actually do um, genetic testing on the eggs or they just kind of look at the grade of the eggs um, so the quality and um, in terms of how they are um, morphing over time or growing over time. And so usually about day three or day five, depending on the doctor's recommendation, the fertilized eggs will be transferred back into the woman's uterus and then hopefully, you know, that's when our pregnancy occurs. So that's really just more of a brief overview of how vast, you know, art or assisted reproductive technology really is. Um, but I definitely okay. hope that people know that um, if they're having issues, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I have to go straight to um, IVF. <laughs> so right. um, there, are lots, there are lots of steps in between. At what stage of, the, of a person's journey or a couple's journey do you typically um, see clients reaching out to you? I, at the moment, I see, you know, it's people who have, um, who are probably in their, mid to late 30s um, who've been trying on their own for about a couple of years um, or have already gone to the doctor and and they're having trouble processing some news um, so um, but I you know I still I think my, my clients do still in the fertility world range from probably about mid 20s to um, mid 40s as well um, so it's it's so it's so individualized in terms of you know where people are at I think also it just depends on region and um, career and just life, you know, life paths that have taken people in different directions. But but usually I see people after they've been trying on their own for a couple of years and already had some interface with, you know, the medical community that's been overwhelming and they need a little bit more support and processing that and kind of moving forward. Okay. I, th I think that age component of the 20s, um, part of your 20s and all the way to 40s, just knowing yeah. that that is the age group, right? And kind of going yeah. back to you're, you're coming, you're closing up, you're not letting yes. others into what's happening, but this could be, you could be anywhere within that age range, but experiencing some of these, these things um, and the challenges that are weighing on you and just knowing that there, 
is someone to reach out to that this is their area of expertise is important right. because in Michigan, um, I I can't necessarily say that I know of a, a, a therapist, but most importantly, uh, I will just say a minority therapist where somebody can reach right. out and have that conversation Right. And the and this is your specialty. This is your area. Yeah. I don't know if we yeah. we have anyone here um, yeah. for that. Yeah, and you know, I'd be happy to work with anybody you know who felt you know you know who felt like they needed some additional assistance because one of the things that you know, in addition to I think not talking about it in the the black community, in um, you know, which is also makes me sad is reading that we are you know, probably more likely to have fertility issues, but least likely to seek help for it. And, mm. you know, and I think that, I think that coincides with just, you know, some lingering messages that we have in our community about, you know, seeking help for mental health and, you know, and, and, you know, I think that stigma has, is changing, but I think that's still there to a degree. Um, but we're, we're not seeking help as, as, as much as, you know, our other counterparts. And yet we're struggling with a lot of fertility related issues. And I mean, so many of us struggle with fibroids, um, or endometriosis, um, you know, right. conditions that, you know, are, you know, that we just, I mean, we kind of know that they're out there, but, um, we kind of get into this mode where it's just kind of like, well, you know, it's just, it just feels so nefarious. It's just so distant. And, um, you know, because I think we just kind of have this attitude where we just kind of keep things moving. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, and we haven't really had a lot of time to kind of emotionally tend to what, you know, what is, what, what has that struggle been like for us? You know, um, and, just because our mothers had to deal with this and we knew that this was part of the journey, you know, it's just it's almost like we don't talk about it, then it's not really a big issue or then other women don't really, you know, kind of get a chance to see themselves in this journey and in, in, in their communities and, and and the sheer, you know, kind of impact of how, you know, of how things have played out. So, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I think that there's still a lot that we can do to advance that conversation, um, you know, in the, in, the, in the black community in particular and other communities of color. Yeah, I would say the generational piece of not reaching out um, and yeah. not knowing that it's okay to go into therapy and have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I simply call it, let's chat, you know, let's just yes. let's chat. Yes. Let's just chat. Let's We're just going to have a conversation. <laughs> We're just having a conversation. You know, I tell people that if it, do, if it doesn't fit, if you've been to a therapist and it doesn't fit, it's just like a doctor. Don't stop, you know, because you got to right. go to a doctor. you got to go to a dentist. Um, mental health is a real thing, too. And if that first person exactly. you went to, if it doesn't work, don't stop. Just go and keep looking for the next person. Because the end goal is to get you where you want into a space and place where you feel comfortable yes. with whatever the current challenge or situation is. Exactly. Uh, if, exactly. If, if there was a message um, that you could relay to someone in the audience who is either experiencing this but hasn't said anything or who mm -hmm. isn't sure where they're at in this journey as a woman uh, individually or e e with a couple, you know, what yeah, would you yeah. say to them? 
I would say first and foremost, you are not alone. <laughs> as much as it feels like you are, you are not alone. Support is out there. Um, you know, the social media game is really changing how we access support. Um, so, um, and, and it's definitely changed since I was going through, you know, the, at the height of, you know, of, of my journey. So, you know, support is out there. You know, be informed. Please be encouraged and also be strategic. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I've just, you know, I, I really do like to share so much of, you know, what I piece together because, you know, I was going through this as a therapist. So, you know, I had more, um, I, I think I had more kind of presence about managing mental health and going along, you know, as I went through my process. But I also realized too, as I was, you know, as I would keep meeting with people, they're still not getting that recommendation in, in their consultations. And, you know, and so the data is really clear that, you know, people fare better. Um, they have better, you know, outcomes with pregnancy um, when they have some kind of emotional kind of therapeutic support. And so that is also why I kind of tailored, you know, my work to, you know, kind of go along with what the data suggests. And, you know, and I read, and there's another thing I really want to, you know, put out there, um, because I think when there was um, one of the foremost researchers um, that uh, that was, um, her name is Dr. Alice Domar. She's probably the first psychologist to really study the connect, the mind-body connection between, you know, mental well-being, mental health, and fertility outcomes. And in one of her books, she said, you know, she, she did a longitudinal study of people who'd gone through the process, and the majority of people found some way to become a parent, you know. So, um, and whether it is through, you know, ART, or if it's adoption, um, kinship adoption, open adoption, um, international, domestic, or, or what have you, um, there are so many ways of parenting. And so, you know, that is also something that I, a message that I like to infuse at certain points of the journey when it's appropriate, um, you know, mm-hmm. because it's easy to lose sight of, you know, what it has to happen this way. Um, but there, the beauty of, you know, ART is that now we, you know, in addition to doing IVF with your own eggs, you can, you know, you can adopt an embryo, um, you know, and, or, you know, use egg donation or sperm donation if you need to. So there's so many other options, but again, it's a process to get there. And, you know, and I think it's just, you know, just kind of opening yourself up and, and allowing yourself the process to grieve what you, the idea of what you thought so that you can take in what is. How can um, our audience reach you if they would like to find you? Yeah, so they, you know, I have a website, um, drlaurijohnson.com, and that is D-R-L-O-R-E-E-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com, or I am on Instagram, um, at Dr. Lori Johnson, and I'm also on Facebook, um, Dr. Lori A. Johnson, LMFT. Okay, you're like me, you like to keep it simple. Yes. <laughs> People can find you. I find that that is the easiest response. Um, it's just and, yes. I, and I thank you. I thank you so very, very much for coming on and speaking with us today about um, just this very real conversation that we do not always like to have. But just in starting the conversation, that's the key component. Starting the conversation to know that this is a very real thing that is happening 
every day for women, couples, and some of the areas that you can, some of the venues that you can travel along in order to help you get through the journey. Yeah, thank you. All right, My well, pleasure. listeners, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we thank Dr. Johnson again. And everyone, have a good day. Thank you for tuning into the show with Saida.